that we as queer people are deserving of ease. And I know our queer ancestors didn't always have that. And so to live their dreams that there might be some ease in their life, even in some really hard, harsh bills and legislation that are coming forward, that feels like the fulfillment of prayers of our queer ancestors. Like that when I move towards rest and when I move towards ease and when I move towards pleasure, when I move towards joy, that that is the hard work of the queer ancestors before me and how I might be able to help plant seeds of those that come after us. Welcome to Queering Contemplation, a podcast about the intimate and innate ways contemplation is queer. These conversations will examine the ways contemplative life invites us into expressions beyond boxes and categories, moving us towards love, embodiment, liberation, delight, and wonder. I'm your host, Cassidy Hall, award-winning filmmaker, podcaster, and author of the forthcoming book, Queering Contemplation, Finding Queerness in the Roots and Future of Contemplative Spirituality. Welcome to the conversation. The Reverend Jess Cast is a progressive minister, constructive theologian, and gardener. Raised in Michigan, Jess took her second call to ministry in New York City. After the 2016 election, she longed to share healing and desired a slower way of life. Those passions, among many others, led her to taking a call as the settled pastor at Faith UCC in State College, Pennsylvania. There, she now resides with her wife, Dr. Jessie, and together they have two cats and a puppy named Charlie. So one way I love to begin is by asking you how you define and experience the word queer in your own life, spirituality, and work. It's a big question. (laughs) I think queer is not easily fitting boxes nor wanting to fit boxes. So it is both just by very, in some sense, ontologically being myself, it is just queering the space wherever I am. A sense of, I don't fit boxes and nor do I want to fit boxes. So both of those things are true at the same time. Uh, Queering both, you're saying spirituality and work. Wherever you see it or experience queerness in your life, and you're saying it's embodied, so you're saying you experience it everywhere. Yeah, I, it's like I can't extrapolate it from my being. I am queer just as much as I am woman, just as much as I am white, just as much as it's my beingness. That's why I use the word onto- uh, ontology to begin with, because it's the very essence of who I am. It's not, and how I choose to show up in that, those are different choices who I choose to be in this world but being queer is is the very part of me it's it's one of the defining factors of who I am and so to take that farther then what does that mean I think that means I was the little girl when I was six years old and when there was a father-daughter dance at the church we don't need to uh, dig into what that is or isn't but that was what happened back then and I remember, I didn't have a word for queer then, but I remember all the little girls in these like sweet pastel, like really traditional dresses. And I showed up in this like black dress with like hot pink and hot orange and hot green. And I remember telling my dad, I wanted the really big flower. And and my dad, my dad of course didn't have a word for it back then too, and neither did I, but that was, the most natural uh, exhibition of myself at that moment. I didn't, I wanted something bright and bold. And that is a very young queer defining moment for me. That's what was what it meant from just to be Jess. So I use that in my, the rest of my life. When I step into the pulpit that I serve, even before I say a word, I'm queering that space just by the very nature of that the the throngs of patriarchy still have a hold on pulpits, even though the particular one that I serve had many different women in serving that has not had a history of queer folks serving there. Uh, So just by being in that space, I'm clearing it. And then how I choose to look at the text is not even 
this like, well, let me dive deep into queer theory. It's just my own lived experience of, oh, wow, this is what I, how I see what's going on and the way Jesus is navigating. And that might be a different interpretation than some of my colleagues. Yeah. And, and especially now with so many anti-LGBTQIA plus bills, do you think the queer Christian body, queer anybody, lives in a kind of liminal or prophetic space? You know, when I was ordained, there were, there were three people, you know, when the, all the ministers put their hands on, and it's a pretty beautiful, weighty moment. It, it's a very intimate moment when all those ministers surround you and you feel the weight of ancestors of hands, the both living and dead. And three people prayed, thank you, God, for her prophetic voice. And, and that was, oh, gosh, Cassie, that was like mm, 12, 13, 14 years ago now. I, I'm losing track at this point. And I remember thinking how important that word prophetic was to me at, at that time. And now, and now it's a word that I'm just careful of myself because I feel like when you throw that word prophetic out there, it's like the word in progressive circles, like, whoa, she's being prophetic, so you can't argue with her or you can't interact with it. And if I can be so bold and say, I'm cautious because I also see prophetic and a rise in arrogance actually coming together. And I'm just so cautious of that because I have a pretty low anthropology that we're all have a proclivity to skewing the stories to make us look good. I am much more attracted to the word humility more than I ever have in my life, like ever. And and that's really funny after I tell you a story about really bright, bold colors. I'm just trying to find in, in yoga, there's this pose called the humble warrior. And I'm not good at yoga, but like, I'm really attracted to that pose of, I, I feel like this tiger warrior energy inside me, like, don't mess with my people. Don't mess with my church. Don't mess with me. Like I, got pretty spicy energy and at the same time I hold this oh but I could be wrong about certain things and so I want to be a humble warrior in these spaces and so because of that I'm doing a lot of emotional labor every single day of here is how the dominant narrative is interpreting life every single day the news or scripture or whatever Here's how I'm experiencing that. And then what's the voice I want to use to offer my interpretation on it? Or to be quite honest, when does my voice need to be saying something and when does it not? And I'm starting to feel a sense that there's so much noise that if we want to go back to that word of prophetic, that having a gentle presence, not even saying something, queers that space in a very prophetic way then. Yeah, I'm sitting with that. And I'm also thinking about initially the way you responded to that word, how, yeah, when we say something is prophetic, we're creating a binary where if we have a conversation with that person or that thought, you know, and, and that's something that's something we're really losing. For those of us that are in church leadership that's something we're really losing is that conversation part to bring everyone along for each other's liberation. And I think that prophetic notes can create a binary that immediately ostracizes people. Yeah. I mean, I think the word, let me back up for those that are listening. I, the, my favorite class in seminary was called the prophets and I love Isaiah. I love Amos. I love Micah, you know, I'm looking at my folk art uh, religious wall in front of me in my office, and I've got so many paintings of Micah 6, 8 on my wall, do justice, love mercy, walk slash live humbly. It is probably one of the absolute core pieces to who I am in the Hebrew Bible, and its counterpart for me in the words of Jesus would be the Beatitudes. Those two probably are the streams that I uh, dance in, in the most as a person and as a pastor. So I'm, I'm, I'm not so concerned about the label of prophetic because I'm so nervous that feeds egos more than it actually feeds liberation sometimes. I, I, I guess I should say I can only see that from my own life from when I was first ordained. What a beautiful e 
way to develop my ego in some sense. And now I am concerned, you know, the move from living in New York City to central Pennsylvania is a much more grounded soil-based faith. And I truly mean soil earth here. I mean, my life is much more tethered to the ways of the earth here and the people who have tended to the earth. And every little conversation is a chance to both queer the space and by me just being me. Um, is that prophetic? I don't know. Am I just being a disciple? Yeah, that's, I think maybe where I'm more and more comfortable. I'm just trying to follow Christ the best I know how and trust the grace when I don't. And it is, I guess in some sense, then it is prophetic when there's not a lot of quote queer folks doing our work as, you know, leading uh, pulpits the way that I'm doing. I'm just so cautious of, I'm just so cautious of anything that feeds my ego. And I just want to be a regular parish pastor and just, just it's coming from the community I come from. That's important to me. And it's a privilege. I understand that. I really get that. And I, I, I care for that. Well, I hope that makes sense. I don't know. Yeah. And I, I think what I hear you saying is that if it is prophetic, let it be prophetic and let prophetic be the afterward. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not the, not the word at the time. Let me just be me. And yes, if that's what it is. Okay. Yeah. Because I don't want to get caught up in, this is going to be a really big prophetic sermon this Sunday. No, I don't, I don't think like that anymore. I think what is the text in that sense? I'm a really old school uh, pastor. I am, I am a minister of word and sacrament. Like I love Jesus. I love my scripture and I, and everything I've gotten to this far in my life has been wrestling with the text. I've, I love the text and that is where sermons come from. That's where I start with every service. In many ways, that's where I start every day too. I wake up and Psalms, uh, either I'll chant or just kind of meditate on them. And then from there, I ask God, what is it these people need to hear from this? this? And sometimes that might be more prophetic if we want to use that word. And sometimes it might be a little more reminding and pastoral um, but that's week to week, the conversations that I have with God and, and the text and the people, right? That's always with the people in mind, always. I'm constantly in conversation with the people in my heart and my mind and with God in my heart and my mind and me. You know, John Calvin says the beginning of wisdom is the knowledge of self and the, and the knowledge of God. And um, that's a pretty queer statement in my mind. You know, a lot of people don't talk about John Calvin being queer, but I think that's pretty queer because Queers have to do a lot of self-reflection of who am I and how am I different and how do I want to be in this world? And in John Calvin's words, that's that's wisdom. So I think that's I think wisdom can be pretty queer too. You know, one of the things that I've always felt a sense of camaraderie with you is that I see that you seem to also love going to monasteries and that you find a lot of rest and respite and yeah, and have built relationships with with nuns at different locations. And I'm wondering when your first monastic visit was and what that was like and maybe what you got from the monastic space. Well, I I love nuns so much. <laughs> My friend, Brother Matt, who is a Jesuit brother, always says, this is Pastor Jess, friend of nuns. The defining uh, moment of when I began to very much be called into monastic spaces was when I was a first year student in seminary. And during that January experience, when you have like interesting different classes, often in seminaries, our first year students, we went to a monastery in the Midwest for two nights and three days. And my best friend at the time, Rachel, she and I called it nun camp. And that's kind of stuck with my language because I say, oh, like even in my congregation, people know, oh, Pastor Jess is going to nun camp. I remember we didn't have we didn't have to get up in the morning and go to prayers like we had our own structured retreat. But I really wanted to get up. And I remember this. I don't remember the name of the sister, but she shared the prayer book with me and we sat together. And I just love these older women, these strong matriarchs who have lived such incredibly interesting lives 
being in such a feminine, spiritual, powerful place, like I felt nurtured and held and a sense of belonging. And since then, as I've come out and and identify as a queer person, I have found different monastic communities that are, are pretty queer in themselves. And the idea that I'm queer is like, only one interesting aspect about me like there's many other interesting aspects about me which feels really good because sometimes I feel this sense of like oh like being queer is like actually not the most interesting thing about me but it is a thing but it's not the most interesting thing and have found these ecologically uh aware and environmental nuns in Loretto Kentucky and Erie, Pennsylvania. And I love the intentional space of like, we're going to be still together. That's how we're going to be. That's how we're going to get to know each other. We're going to just sit together and quiet. Oh my gosh. It's so awesome. I love it so much, particularly as a Protestant minister, we're like, words are our thing to just be intimate and be known in silence really powerful and intimate and really freaking queer actually like we're gonna sit together for 30 minutes in this circle and just be quiet like that's really queer like you you leave so close to those people and then you just go to you know lunch and wow look at this sisterhood that we've just created like that's really that's really queer to me (laughs) definitely definitely do you would you also call yourself a contemplative do you I um, aspire to that. Um, I would say that again. I'm, I'm <laughs> the humility. You, you, you're carrying humility throughout this conversation. I love it. <laughs> you know, Vincent Van Gogh has this painting called the Potato Peelers, and it's not one of his more famous ones. It's a piece that's probably overlooked more, and it would not be one of them that I gravitated to when I lived in New York City or when I was first starting ministry. When you're trying to do the bold new thing. But these potato peelers, it's like one of my favorite paintings of his now that it's all these browns and these earthy colors. And what are they doing? These hardworking people are just peeling the potatoes. And it's so, so moving to me because just regular life of they just, we're going to, we got to feed the people. We, we're going to keep the oil and the lamp going. We're going, we're going to wash the clothes. We're going like here's Sunday again, here it comes. Here's a funeral I'm planning. Here comes Holy Week. Like, oh, it's just so powerful to me. Like just coming from a community and and just peeling potatoes with the people that are with you. I don't know. It's a really profound piece to me. And I'm just so cautious in this stage of my life of certain labels, not because I don't, think that labels are good. I actually like them, but I'm just so cautious of anything that props me up more than just a regular person from her community, which is really important to me. I think I, I, Cassie, I think I crave humility in the discourse of American life. I think I crave humility in the discourse of American religious landscape. And I think the movement of my life away from the concrete in New York city of all the skyscrapers that used to really inspire me, which just, you keep ascending, right? You just keep going up. Literally my life has changed to, I can't get in my hands dirty enough in the soil through the garden and the farmers here. I've gone from flipping my values to keep ascending, ascending to I'm, I'm leery of that, which ascends now. And I am, most drawn to that which is rooted and keeps going deeper like side note when i discovered native plants which i didn't understand what native plants were like i thought oh yeah like every every area like you grow zinnias you grow cosmos right no like certain areas there's native plants like i didn't know that and and i was talking to one of my uh botanist friends she goes oh my gosh just native plants grow deeper and thus helping the soil be enriched more and they expand more and native plants like help control 
naturally the bugs of an area like native plants are so good for your yard girl let me tell you something i am all about the native plants now like i i just bought like this native mountain mint i'm like oh my gosh you're gonna like help grow in my yard you're gonna enrich the soil that's my life now like native plants and that's that's important to me to be from the people here you know you have this very pastoral presence on social media and it seems like you've managed to find that balance of living your real pastoral life with the humans that you can physically be with or the plants and the soil you can physically touch while also a rhythm of showing up in that space, but without that being your life. Yeah. Because it sounds like there's been a shift in you that, yeah, this rootedness, this settling and the ways that that. From what we know, right, that's the way to have long-term change in our soil, to nurture it, to love it, to deepen the roots. Um, but we are so obsessed with more, better, faster, stronger, and, you know, the 30-second TikTok video that I probably just watched right before this interview. Right, exactly. It's like the the next hit in some sense, like, oh, here's the next hit. Here's the article you just wrote. Here's the the book that you're writing. Here's the next this, the next this. I feel really lucky. And I want to use the word lucky in the sense. I feel that I have had more opportunities in the first half of my career than a lot of my colleagues, if not most of them that I graduated with. People who have opened doors for me, connections to different opportunities. I feel an embarrassment of riches in some sense of how rich my life has been thus far and, and the privileges that have come with that. I, I know that when I think about doing justice and loving mercy and walking humbly, the long-term change of justice requires a, a sense of like, I'm going to be planted in a certain area. I'm going to be planted with a certain people and I will live with these people and these people will be my people. I I will be their people. And because of that, we can now influence each other. And there's a sense of, I want the people in my community here to influence me just as much as I might want to influence them. And how can then we thus together work to serve and bring justice and do justice for the long term, because we have a relationship and we have trust. And I mean that with, I mean, like, as I'm saying this to you, I see a variety of different people in my mind as I'm talking to you that don't all think the same, that don't all act the same, don't all vote the same. That's my community. And I want to be planted from them and have a trustworthy voice in that community. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And I think humanity's insatiable need to feel satisfied and instant gratification, it's so hard for us to really pause and be in a space. You know, in a way, that's become weird and strange and odd. It's become queer to do that. It's become queer to be settled, to settle down and to root yourself in place. Yeah. Okay. So that's really great that you said that because I feel like this movement I have made to step away from New York City. When and New York City represents a lot of access to power and ascension and and it was a and it was a really important period of my life. When I lived in New York City, I was invited to Obama's White House for an interfaith thing and all these things I can name off that like really felt great and again speak to just really delightful things. But there's something Something happened for me in 2016, like a lot of people. I remember the day after we we found on that Wednesday morning when we all heard that Trump was elected. I remember stepping out of my apartment on the Upper West Side in Manhattan. And, and I remember there was like a shroud over my little piece of New York City, at least. And I remember I went into Starbucks and this man like just stood up and he said, what the hell happened? What the hell happened? And I remember over the next few weeks, beginning to have this sense of call, uh, as we use in our in our religious circles, the sense of, oh, 
I can't stay in New York City forever. I was raised in the Midwest. I understand how we got here in, in our country here today. I needed to live in New York City for my my own development and my own sense of strength to be around other lots of queer folks to have this sense of nourishment and and sense of okayness of my own identity. And I began to have this sense of, oh, I wouldn't be here forever. Like, this is too safe for me to stay here forever. Um, I have skills that I need to go someplace else and be part of the healing and the mending and um, the sewing of, of, of real, real hard work. Um, but life-giving work, too. Um, that's when I didn't know that that would be Pennsylvania. And that's when I shortly met and my then girlfriend, now wife, who is like through and through German Pennsylvanian. Like she is like eating cabbage and sausages and schnitzel and all these things. Like these are like really normal things. And now our household is pretty German and she's come to see through me. I mean, I have a German ancestor, but like my wife is like really German PA and she's like says things to me like, oh my word, like that's really German PA of me to do that, isn't it? I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> like I'm starting to see that more and more. And that's that's our life here now. We've moved away. Like we had to do a lot of discernment, Cassidy, of like, do we move to the city and like keep on this fast train and of this up and up and up and up? I said, but for my soul, I need to get off that train and dig deeper. And like, I really love queer domestic life too, which I think are some of our foremothers and fathers and parents of the journey would be like, that's not queer enough, but it almost feels like that's the queer thing to do now. When I hear Brandy Carlisle and her wife talk about like queer domestic life, I'm like, oh yeah, like we didn't have this. Like we've not seen models of people making families, choosing to have long lives together, however that experience looks like and whoever they invite into it or not. That feels, again, if you want to use this word, that feels prophetic because it's, I don't have a lot of examples of what we're doing right now. And we're tilling the soil of and planting ourselves in a garden with other families that don't look like us, but we're just going to plot you know, plant our little plants in our plot of land here. It is a story that I didn't have on my vision boards. I don't even do vision boards, but if I had a vision board, that was not what I had on. But it's a story that feels nice to be surprised by and very, very rich, very rich, actually. And, you know, one of the things, Cassidy, is that our queer ancestors didn't always have like, I'm really interested in the word ease. May there be ease in our bodies. May there be ease in our living. And that we as queer people are deserving of ease. And I know our queer ancestors didn't always have that. And so to live their dreams that there might be some ease in our life, even in some really hard, harsh bills and legislation that are coming forward, that feels like the fulfillment of prayers of our query ancestors. Like that when I move towards rest and when I move towards ease and when I move towards pleasure, when I move towards joy, that that is the hard work of the query ancestors before me and how I might be able to help plant seeds of those that come after us. Yeah. You know, another theme I'm hearing come up is between the rootedness of the native plants and the rootedness of your life and the rootedness of monastic life and the ways in which when we place ourselves and sink ourselves in to really feel that interconnection and really be present to what that means, it, it, it opens us up to, I mean, I just want to say just being human. It opens us up to the truth of being human. And I, I wonder if you can speak to how you've experienced that in maybe maybe monastic life also, how the ways, you know, because a lot of people see monastic life and they say, oh, you know, they're limiting themselves, they're shutting themselves off from the world. 
But, you know, we both know that they take vows of vows of stability to the place that they've chosen and the people that they've chosen, much like the native plant. Yes. Yeah. One of, I feel, the rock stars of monastic life is Joan Chittister, and who comes from the Benedictine Sisters of Erie, where I go um, up there to Erie. And a lot of her interviews and her writing, she'll talk about, we come from Erie. Our community comes from Erie. So everything we do represents Erie in some sense or is informed by our community of Erie. And that is part of our voice as a Benedictine monastic community. And I resonate with that so much because I say I come from Center County, uh, Central PA, who the, the people are here even before I arrived here. They inform who I am. They inform how I choose to represent myself in this world. I particularly lately have been saying the farmers have literally been saving my soul. They've taught me so much about sustainability and more than just going green, but like just truly what it means to live a good enough life. Um, what does it mean to live with with roots? And 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 what does it mean when the droughts come in to then live? Farmers have taught me so much. And and so I am just cast, proudly queer, proudly come from the people of Center County. And I pray that I represent Center County well when I'm whenever I'm wherever I'm going. I proudly represent the people of Central PA. Um I, and how the people of, of different traditions, the Anabaptists, the Mennonites, the Amish, the Brethren, how they've influenced my life of hospitality and justice making and how justice make, like I watch our Anabaptist friends and I think, oh, your justice is like, oh, we will make room for you and we're going to make a table for you and you're welcome here. And I'm like so compelled by that of like, wow, that's so gentle and like, how when you when you know the the high women again brandy carlisle who is like my saint um you know when they sing in the high women a crowded table like that is the most sacramental song in the world to me and that is like my theology oh what god can do over a crowded table oh what god can do over a crowded table and we don't have to just enact that on a Sunday morning. That can be in our homes. That can be with our neighbors. I think about when my wife and I bought our home, our very first home, uh, just over a year ago now. And the first winter, which was last winter, I remember we were sitting in our living room and all of a sudden I hear a bunch of scraping outside. And I look outside, all the neighbors are outside shoveling each other out and I just wanted, it was my day off. Like, I just wanted to like stay inside and, and watch movies. And my wife and I were in PJs and I said, oh man, we got to get outside. She goes, what do you mean? You don't want to go outside. I said, do you not hear all the neighbors are out there shoveling snow right now? I said, you want to be from this neighborhood? You want people to respect us and you want us people to look out for us and vice versa. We got to get out there and shovel with them. We got to dig them out and they're going to dig us out. And and that day we were out there all shoveling each other, getting to know each other as neighbors. And we all have very different signs in our yards and, and different proclivities. And one of my neighbors who had different signs than maybe I would have had, he and I start bonding. And at the end of all the shuffling, he brought out this shots of whiskey for me and him and we took, I think we took communion out in the street in that moment. And I thought, yep, that's the life I want is planted here where he sees me as a human. I see him as a human and we get to know each other as humans in this community. And, you know, he and I will now exchange plants and, and that's the life I want, uh, how we influence each other. Um, that will impact this neighbor more than a fiery letter to the editor will because right now we know each other as neighbors then there's a place in time for fiery letters to the editor and there's a place in time for fiery protests absolutely i've done all of these things but i'm in a stage of my life where 
I want more and more the true self to come forward, which is a much more vulnerable self and where my neighbors get to know the different layers of me and not just the positions that I hold. Yeah. Yeah. I think this, this sense of rootedness is the only way for us to actually truly speak, truly hear and truly move anything in any direction uh, with each other. You know, monastic life has shown us that. And I mean, mean, right. The original desert folks who went to the desert to subvert empire, like this, this choice to deepen is now a, a, a queer choice. You know, you're, you're saying I'm willing to have those conversations. I'm willing to go there and I'm, you want to be human. And I think the monastic piece is when I was at the, well, one of the things too, is that particularly in Erie, these women who like sister Placida turned 105 when we were there. And I was like, this lady is a lady, you know, she got her pearls. She, she had her Domino's pizza. That's what she really wanted. That was, that was a specialty that day. And I'm thinking like, they've all seen each other through really beautiful times and like times when they're like, get away from me. And yet they come together three times a day in prayer. There's something about that spirituality that they remember each other as, as image bearers that constantly coming back to that, coming back to the dignity of who they are as human beings, as sisters. And that that's open to the community, right? Like people can come and pray with them. And that's part of the Benedictine vows that their places open to the community. I just think that's so powerful because it's constantly getting out of our ego. It's constant, like the way that they're, the monastery is formed in the chapel is in the round. So they have to see each other. You can't be mad at your sister for the long haul when you're sitting across from her and you're reciting scripture together or you're praying for your sister. Like that does something. These spiritual communities, these monastic communities, I think are centers of humility fun my sisters are funny um and joyful and when the spirituality and then in this community when christ is at the center they're being formed um and they're with deep deep roots um and i just like watch these women just laugh and laugh and joy and just be together um i think you can have that monastic influence on your life like without taking vows in a monastic community you know joan writes about that the uh, monasteries of the heart in her writings and i think all of us have the opportunity to access monasticism in our daily life um and that's pretty queer too really queer i think yeah and along with that right that's something not all of us can do or access out of safety like You know, there's situations where I feel very safe having the harder conversations or being in the difficult space. And there's times where that's not safe for other people or for or even for me. I'm wondering, what would you say to those who don't want to kind of sit and root in their community based out of just a discomfort? Um, Because I also think that's a very different feeling than lack of safety. Yeah. So safety is really important. Like that, that's like the non-negotiable, like this Maslow and hierarchy, like that's really important to being human. So when we talk, like everything I'm saying is love, how, how to be human. Like when I look at Jesus, I look at someone, this God man teaching me how to be human. Like that's what's really important to me. How do I be a human? Not just some divine being, but like a human, I want to, I, I need help on just to do that. Um, if you do not feel safe, then that needs to be addressed first. Absolutely. People ask me, do you feel safe in central PA or did you feel safer in New York city? And honestly, Cassidy, overall, I feel safer in central Pennsylvania than I did in New York city because my neighbors know me. I'm Jess, who's out there gardening. I'm Jess, who my other neighbor across the street, she knows I'm a Protestant minister, married to this woman. She's Catholic. 
might not understand, but she knows I go to monasteries. It's not an issue. Like, I don't, I don't know what she really believes, but she's always like, well, pray for me. And I, and I will often then say to her, will you pray for me too? Our community watches out for each other. We, we are known, we, we know each other, we build trust with each other. So I feel a sense of safety here, but that might not, but that's also, I'm white, you know, I'm white in central PA. That's different for some of my colleagues who might be black or brown or um or indigenous or that uh, that would be a different experience i think and and i can't i don't want to blanket it for everybody too and i don't want to say well if you're white then you feel safe that might not be true for others that's that's okay so your safety is really important but to your point if it's discomfort well that's one of your greatest teachers that if it's discomfort then that's dare i say god in a lot of that trying to lead you into a deeper spirituality, perhaps. I think discomfort, which I'm not good at, is one of our greatest teachers. And that's where we move to, I think. To really be like, to really be content- contemplatives, I actually think that's where we move. We seek that in some sense. I mean, like sitting still for 30 minutes in meditation that's in itself. I'm comfortable. I move a lot, even in us talking right now. I'm like constantly moving. So that's always a growth edge for me, I think. Um, and to choose that, I think that's queer. That's queer. When we were trying to buy a house, let me say this, there was one neighborhood where there was a Confederate flag flying and I we really liked the house. And I said, I don't feel safe on this block. That signifies I don't I and 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 so we didn't move to that. We didn't move to that area because my safety is important. Because when I feel safe, then we can build off of those other pieces of the Maslow's hierarchy then. And then we can get to some deeper work. But I think change, the change that you I know talk about, the change that we long for, the justice change. That type of change is slow. And slow change, I think, is good change. And I also hear Dr. King's words in my mind, the urgency of now. Uh, Paradox in some sense. There's this urgency of now, and good change is slow change. And they're constantly in conversation and intention. And that's what we hold on to. Because if you go one way or the other, the urgency of now... I'm going to lose a lot of people in that conversation. But if I just go slow, I'm going to lose the actual change work that needs to happen. It's slow change is good change and the urgency of now. Those are constantly in conversation. Yeah. And do you think that's the, do you think that's one of the main tension that the contemplative life hosts that, you know, this contemplation and action Our contemplation is what really is it if we're not active? And perhaps part of our action is simply rooting more deeply. You know, what? like if I go back to the native plants and how native plants actually help control the invasive pest of an area, is it possible that when I root myself, if I take that metaphor, that I'm actually helping helping weed out the invasive pests of an area in a society if I'm rooted in an area. If I mo- if my role model in life is a native plant, which right now the plants are role models for me, if native plants are my role models and I root myself in an area so that thus I can grow bigger too and grow as an individual, but I'm actually helping get rid of the pests of a community too, or like control the injustices of a community, that feels right to me, at least at this era of my life. That feels like that's what I'm supposed to be doing at this stage of my life. I can't say that's forever, but I can say that that makes sense and feel it rings true to how I know God in my life at this particular stage. Yeah, and I think you're speaking to rooting out harmful energy or ideology not people, not other humans. Correct. 
uprooting ideologies that do not promote equity among communities. When I root in a community, um, I have more access too. So um, I get to text the mayor or I get to text the school board and or I get to be in conversations in my sense, uh, my community here, like I'm, um, we're at Penn State University. Uh, I can help when one white supremacist came to our community, I can then go show up at the rally to promote peace and justice and help just be a presence of care for students who might be really upset and 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 I can be a presence there of, of a light of justice. And that is because I've built relationships. This is the community I come from. So I have a sense of responsibility to be part of that. Um, I have a sense that that's how I understand my call. I, uh, there is a, a responsibility to be aware of the things that are unjust and then to do my part to to bear witness to what is, well, I would say resurrection. Yeah. So I know we're kind of running towards the end of time. And I want to ask you one really bold question, which is if you had a queer magic wand that you could wave over some aspect of Christianity, what would you wave it over and what might shift? Okay. So my queer magic wand, when you said that, I was like, but I do have a queer magic wand. That's my garden utensils. Those are my queer magic wands. And what aspect of Christianity would I wave it over? I have two areas that I would wave it over. I grew up very evangelical conservative. So that is part of the soil I come from. And that's part of the language I know. And those are some of my people in my background, though I am a progressive UCC ordained minister now. So one of my queer magic wands of garden tools would be over uh, the evangelical kindred of Christ to say, now is the time to repent. Now is the time to repent and come and come and find grace for you in your change. Uh, and then I mean that in the sense of this, this Christian nationalism that is on the rise in our country. That's what I mean here. And then the other garden tool of uh, my magic wand, I think this might be my, my uh, rake that I just got. It's so pretty. I would wave it over my progressive kindred and say, now is the time for humility, my friends. Humble yourself. Because we have a proclivity to be wrong too. Don't stop doing justice. Don't stop proclaiming. Don't stop being a bold witness, but humble yourself, my friends. And so if that were to happen, these two, what looks like opposing thoughts would come a little bit closer together, I think. And isn't that what I'm supposed to be called to as a United Church of Christ minister where John 17 is our verse that they all may be one like that's what I'm my ordination vows to and I don't even say I don't even think of myself as a shepherd like that feels too arrogant like I'm a sheepdog for Christ like that's like I'm I'm like Christ is the shepherd and I'm like the cute dog out in the field rounding it up for our homeboy um that's what I'm supposed to be about looking for those opportunities to that last point I just want to reiterate, it's not weeding out the people, but weeding out ideologies, particularly ideologies that have been stamped with God on that. That's as soon as you put the God stamp on something that's that is an ideology that's harmful, that that's really dangerous. Uh, so that God stamp is so powerful. And I mean that in the sense of what we're seeing right now with a section of America coming after drag queens or a section of America coming after anti-trans bills in the name of God, that's wrong. And as a native plant, I need to help weed that thinking out of my community and then help the education around. That's what I mean by all of that. Oh, I love it. I love it. Thank you for that imagery. You were the one that brought up gardening and native plants and all of that. So Thank you so much for joining today and thank you so much for 
your wisdom in the world, your voice in the world, and your rootedness in the world. I think you are an incredible pastoral model of, um, yeah, what we need to keep moving towards. So thank you for, for being you. Thank you, Cassidy. And thank you for everybody who is, is thinking with us. And, and I hope and pray that anything that was said might provoke deeper thinking, more love, greater compassion in your own community. And you can be in conversation with me online at Rev Just Cast, R-E-V-J-E-S-K-A-S-T, um, particularly on Instagram or Twitter. I'm too old for TikTok now. I'm too exhausted to do that. But all of you are so cool doing that. So thank you. <laughs> thank you, Cassidy. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's episode. To support this work and get sneak peeks of new episodes, join me at patreon.com slash Cassidy Hall. You can also learn more about me and my work at CassidyHall.com. This podcast is created, produced, and edited by me, Cassidy Hall. Today's episode features the song Into the Deep by Daniele Musto. The podcast is created in partnership with The Christian Century, a progressive ecumenical magazine based in Chicago. You can find out more at christiancentury.org. The podcast is also created in partnership with Enfleshed, an organization focused on spiritual nourishment for collective liberation. For liturgical resources and tools, head over to enfleshed.com.